Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. If you had all the money in the world, honestly, okay, don't tell me you want to build a well in Africa, okay, don't want to hear that. I want to hear honestly, if you had all the money in the world, what would be the first thing you'd do right now? Honestly. Put it in the bank? <laughs> Somebody would put it in the bank. What would you do with all the money in the world? Buy horses? Buy horses, cool. What else? Feed the poor. Feed the poor. See, there's always an honest person here. Look at that. <laughs> Come on, what would you guys do? Pay off the debt. Yeah, I'd say that'd be pretty high up on the list, wouldn't it? Who would... Bless your family. Yeah. Who, who would just love... To see that mortgage gone. How much of a relief would that be in your life, huh? (laughs) Good on you. She hasn't got one, but she'll pay the family's ones off. Would you pay your pastor's one off too while you're at it? (laughs) Okay. So come on, what else? What would you guys do with all the money? I've got two words for you. Bora Bora. Those of you who know, nice little island in Tahiti. Yeah, playing this afternoon. What would you do with all the money in the world? Anyone have dreams? Anyone have value, uh, put something of a high value? How about salvation? How much would you pay for that? Oh, good man, good man. There's no money in the world that would pay for that. There's no water that will quench its thirst. There is, there is nothing they can pay for it, right? We're in the Hebrews chapter 9 this morning and, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult few chapters that we've been going through. And last week, those of you who weren't here, if I finally, after four years, was able to pull out my planes and play with them up front here. Um, but, you know, the, the difficulty of these chapters in Hebrews is like, what is going on? What is the guy talking about? And unless you really understand Jewish history, you know, you're kind of sitting there scratching your head. Well, chapter 9 is the climax. It's the climax of everything that he's been talking about up to this point. And now he's talking about something that the Jews would have known very well because it touches right at the heart of their belief. And for most of us today, we just kind of scratch our heads and think, well, what is he really talking about? In the Old Testament... You know, there wasn't Jesus, but there were means in which you could get close to God. The first one was the Ten Commandments. Okay, if you followed the Ten Commandments, you were right before God. But guess what? You needed to follow another 613 laws, which were called the social and moral law, that would help you then follow the Ten Commandments. Were people really good at following those laws? How good are you guys at following the law? Who follows the speed limit on the road? Come on, be honest. Oh, there's one hand going up. (laughs) You know, if there's a speed limit, and you know, 50 kilometers an hour is really, really slow sometimes on a big wide open road. And so we creep up to 51, 52, 56, like I got a ticket the other week for. You know, we, we, we break laws. And the Israelites were no different. You know, to follow the Ten Commandments, they required 
a social and moral law that would help them follow those Ten Commandments, but there were 613 of them. They couldn't do it. So there was another thing that God instituted, and that was the tabernacle slash temple. Both the same, just different contexts. Okay? And this was a form of sacrifice because you're going to mess up anyway. We're going to sin anyway. So the sacrifice will set you straight before God. This will clean the sin from you, and now you can actually enter the presence of God. Now, the tabernacle, and I think I've got a photo of it there, looked like that. Now, there's two things about this tabernacle. Later on, it becomes the temple. It's just uh, they've discovered that they could actually build things better and bigger. So what went from just tents became big buildings, and it became the temple. Both the same. But the tabernacle, there's two things that were very important about this tabernacle, apart from the sacrifice and all. Does anyone know what those two things are? Anyone want to venture any guesses? There was the Holy of Holies, which was what? The presence of God. Okay? And the other thing about the tabernacle, which you might not know, is it was at the center of camp. So what was at the center of camp? the presence of God, okay? So everybody knew what was in the middle. Now, if you look in the cities, most cities are built around like a a famous square where there's, you know, everybody goes to or or it's the business district sometimes, the financial center, depending on what city you go to, right? In Auckland, you would say that big needle thing that you guys have. Like We've we've got one better in Sydney. It's like, no, anyway... Um, but, you know, that's the centre. That's, you know, we, in Sydney, it's the Pitt Street Mall. You go there and everybody's there. All the shops are there. Centrepoint Tower's there. You know, every city has its centre. Well, for the Israelites, when they camped, they had a centre and it was called the Tabernacle. That was the presence of God. Literally, he was the centre of the life of an Israelite. Which goes to venture this question. Where is God in your life? Is He the centerpiece? Is He at the center of your life? Now, there was one thing as you walked in, you could see the, uh, the kind of the uh, reddish doors down the bottom here. That was the entry. And the moment you entered into the tabernacle, the first thing you would see, it'd be the largest piece of furniture that you would see. Anyone know what that is? The altar of sacrifice. Uh, Let me just jump ahead. Altar of sacrifice. That was the first thing you saw when you walked in there. Big piece of furniture. Now in Hebrews chapter 8, we saw last week, it was just a little bit of a mention about this system of worship that they had, this whole tabernacle thing. Um, If you open up your Bibles to chapter 8, Verse 5, it says this, it says, They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. So this tabernacle is a copy of what? The system of worship is a copy of what? 
something up in in heaven, right? Right? Of Jesus, yeah, we'll get to that. But it's a copy of something that's up there. We you point up there. So what, what, who's ever had done a sacrifice? Has anyone here done a sacrifice of late? I'd be really interested to know if you have. Yeah, most of you are kind of looking at me going, sacrifice? Yeah, well, this is the way it was done. This was the way to actually connect with the living God. It was these sacrifices that for us today are just totally bizarre. You ask a, a farmer to kill an animal, he'll have no problem killing an animal. He'd have a problem if you were just to kill it and burn it, wouldn't he? Because he hates waste. Well, hang on a second, I'll kill it so I can feed people and sell it. And, you know, but just to kill it, to kill it, you've got to be kidding me. But this is what they did. Your people would bring their offerings to the Lord. A baby lamb. Well, a lamb is a baby, but a lamb, right? You bring that in. Now, what did you do? Did you just hand it off to the priest and the priest would just kill it for you and burn it up? No. You had to hold the lamb. You had to physically hold the lamb. And then the priest would slit its throat, let the blood pour out over the offering and then lay the lamb on the fire and the fire would consume it. Do you know why you had to hold it? You had to identify with it. This creature is dying for you. It was personal. It was personal. How do you think a person would have felt holding this creature and letting it die for you, how do you think that would have felt? Just a little bit uncomfortable. Even describing it makes you kind of squirm, just a little bit. Like I said, there's one thing killing an animal because you're hungry and you need to eat. Another thing is killing an animal because you sinned. But this was the approach. This is what was expected. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse, verses 1 to 7, I'll just read this out to you all. It says this, It was the year, in the year of King Isaiah died, that I saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. He said, He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, attending him with a mighty seraphim, each having six wings. Anyone ever seen a seraphim? Anyone believe they don't exist? Because it looks like they do. And, and it's really weird because anything with six wings has got to be a weird-looking creature. But they're there. There they are. With two wings, they covered their faces, and two, they covered their feet, and the other two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy is the Lord's of heaven's armies. We see the seraphim again in what other book? Revelations, right? What are they doing? The exact same thing. They're calling out, holy, holy, holy. Remember my old fascination with threes and numbers? What does three mean? Holy, holy, holy. Truly, truly, yes, absolutely holy. The voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over, I'm doomed. 
For I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I'm living among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it and said, See this, coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Where does that coal come from? comes from the altar. What has burnt on top of that coal? An innocent animal. Do you think that would have been a pleasant touch to the lips? It's not lipstick, people. It would have hurt. It would have hurt. And that's the thing about being cleansed. At times we think, hey, you know, I've got a problem with swearing, but Jesus covers me in his grace. I'm fine. Hang on a sec. Yeah, you're covered, you're fine, but God, you know the payment that it costs for that? It, it hurts. Don't take sin for granted. Don't take sin, and, and we do this, and, and it's interesting even hearing Suzanne this morning. You go to some parts of the world where these new Christians have given their lives to the Lord, and they take sin seriously. They take it seriously. Now, they know they're covered by God's grace. We know we're covered by God's grace, and we are sinful creatures, so I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. But I'm saying, don't blow it off. Don't blow sin off. Just because you're covered by the grace of God doesn't mean that what you're doing is good or right or justified. Isaiah hits this up. Hebrews chapter 9, and this is the key element of chapter 9. It's verses 11 to 12. He says this, he says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, is not part of this created world. And with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place for all time, and secured our redemption forever. That's just the meat of everything he's been talking about up to this point. And, you know, reading Hebrews, he's abusive to us. I mean, he calls us ignorant and fools and all this kind of stuff. And then he's talking about stuff that, you know, what is he going on about? But here's the crunch. We can understand this, right? Here's the crunch. So one more verse, another verse I want to share with you. It's in Exodus chapter 27, verse 1. They're building the altar. And Moses gives these instructions. He says, using acacia wood, construct a square altar seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. Now, I've got a question for you all. How does a wooden altar work? Anyone thought of that for a moment? Don't you burn things on this altar? So is wood? Really? They, they cover it in bronze, uh, kind of a, a type of copper actually. So the wood is encased in copper so it doesn't burn. But do you know another sacrifice that was made on wood? Anyone here know? Jesus Christ. He was hung on a tree, on a piece of wood. 
Again, the sacrifice that is made once and for all supersedes that seven and a half by seven and a half foot, four and a half foot wide high altar. It's done. It's done. It's interesting because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, where sin is born. And let me just say this, guys, don't point the finger at the women. She made me do it. Okay, because that's a schoolyard trick. And when they're at school, Jan, and they say, he made me do it, who gets into trouble, Jan? They both do, don't they? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So here they are. They've committed sin by going to the tree, eating the fruit they were told not to eat. They have eaten it. And now they're naked. And what does God do? The God made garments out of what? Skin of what? You know, we talk about Cain and Abel, and Abel being the first murdered, the first blood spilt. Actually, the first blood spilt was in the garden where God had to sacrifice an animal, where God had to sacrifice an innocent creature for our sins to cover us. Uh, Think about that. These, These guys wouldn't have known what death meant until the point in which they sinned and the point they felt naked And God had to clothe them with the skin of an animal that had to die for them. Hebrews 9, 24 to 28. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself, to appear now before God on our behalf. To appear now before God on our behalf. Remember last week we talked about the Sanhedrin? Remember the, Jew, the, the Jewish council where the high priest sat and there was one on the right and there was one on the left? What was the guy on the left doing? He was writing the condemnations. The one on the right, on the right was writing the what? The acquittals. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand side of God writing the acquittals with me there he is he's gone up he's now before god on our behalf the right hand side of god writing the acquittals and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal If it had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting him. I love that last verse. Because so many of us, so many, not here, 
But so many people I've spoken to, when it comes to the end times, they're wanting to see Jesus come down and give the one-two punch. Show the world, Jesus. You are king. All of you are going to suffer, those of you who don't believe. But that's not what he's actually coming down for. That's not what he's actually coming back for. He's not coming here to deal with our sins. He's coming here to bring salvation to those who believe. This is Jesus. Through his actions, the altar is gone. No one here knows what a sacrifice means anymore because we don't have to do it anymore. He's done it for us. I was sharing in our home group on Monday. And I think I shared it last Sunday as well. If, oh, actually, no, I'll tell you the story because some of you, I'm, I'm going to say, it was, I can't remember the guy's name. It was a Polish man. He was in a concentration camp in World War II, held up with the Nazis. I think I've shared with you the story before, but I'm, I'll, I'll do it again. This guy... Uh, was in this concentration camp and the commandant had this rule if somebody uh, attempted to escape from the from the camp uh, he would basically call up 10 people at random and shoot them as a punishment to the people who tried to escape so that night the sirens go off someone's tried to escape next morning the commandant lies up everybody up and he has 10 names at random and he starts calling them out the 10th guy is this polish man and this guy just breaks down, bursts out into tears. Don't kill. I don't want to die. I've got a wife. I've got kids. Please don't kill me. There's a Jesuit priest who'd been in this camp. He walks up to the commandant. He says to the commandant, I'll die in his place. The commandant says, I don't care. I need 10 people. You can die. Go ahead. Lines them up, shoots them. This Polish guy survives the war, ends up back home with his kids. He has a a stone placed in his backyard with the name of this priest engraved on it. And one day a year, he stops. Doesn't do anything, doesn't go to work, doesn't, nothing. He sits in front of that stone and he prays and he says, thank you. And then he says, I pray that my life was worth yours. That's tangible, that's real. It's like holding the lamb over, over the altar. We can, we, can, we can understand that. How much more then did Jesus do for you? How much more then did Jesus do for you? He gave his life for you. He was that lamb and he died for you. What is your offering to God today? What is your offering to God today? If you knew someone who gave their life for you, how would you live your life? Would you live it just a little bit differently? knowing of what that man did for you or that woman did for you? Well, let me tell you, Jesus did a whole lot more than that. So what, are your, what is your offering to God today? What is it? He doesn't want money. 
Does, does Jesus want money? Does he want lambs or offerings or sacrifices? What does he want? Say it, me. Go on, say it. What does God, what does Jesus want? Me. All of me. All of me. Because he loves you. And he has a plan for you. Not a plan to hurt you, but a plan to give you hope and a future. You with me? Hmm? In Hebrews, the guy has written this out and he's pleading with his people. He wants you. And I'm pleading with you this morning. He wants you. He wants you. Close your eyes. Father God, I just want to lift up our people to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice. Thank you for your life. And just like that guy who's put that stone in his backyard, please, Lord, may we put a stone in our own hearts and acknowledge the sacrifice that you've given, that you've made for us. Lord God, You know, if there's anyone here that just needs a moment, I'm just going to give you a few moments and and, and just quietness for now. Just give your hearts to the Lord. He wants you. You prepared to give your heart to Him. What is your offering to Him this morning? Just going to give you a few moments. I'm going to give you an opportunity later on at the end of the service to be prayed over. Please. Let us pray over you. Father God, I pray for the hearts of people here this morning. I pray for our hearts as we seek to be more like you, seek to embrace what you have given us. We don't need to go through that whole sacrificial thing. We don't need to go through a tabernacle or anything like that. Pray for our hearts to be healed Pray for our ears to be open and our eyes to see your way and your will. Pray for acknowledgement or the need that maybe we need to change our lives around. Pray pray especially for healing, Lord. Bless us and cover us in your spirit. I ask this this morning, Lord, for the hardened hearts to be softened for our feet to be moving, our hands to be honoring and worshipping you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.